Find out what's happening on the World Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword World Talk Radio. The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour, the Power of Water, Earth's Human Mission. Obviously, the Power of Water is for a healthier planet. I'm Sharon Kleina. Today, we have some very exciting guests, but before I introduce who they will be, you need to know this is the only radio talk show dedicated to life-threatening water wars. We have been into countries all over the world. The Global Water and Health Crisis, interviews with global research leaders on health and environment from all over the world. News reporting and education on a subject of my research and my background, dehydration diseases. I'm a believer that research will prove in time. Because the earth is water, the body and life of earth is water, mostly water. We are fighting every day a dehydration, water loss, diseases. We need to study that. Water access and sanitation have been on our subject here on this show. Water, women, and children. Those women carrying the water around the world each morning, getting up at 4 o'clock and carrying a jug bucket of water taking the child with them at a distance to bring home a survival of water to the family those women and and we'll tell you that as you've been learning from the show there are 5,000 children dying a day without water that is all children are perfect there is no such thing as an imperfect child why are they dying without water which all earth has to have water So as we've gone into countries like Kenya and Holland and around the world, we need to learn. Let's learn together. This is a fascination world that we're in today. Let's learn together. Don't think you know enough. It is impossible. And we don't make any judgments with this show. We want to learn and be adventurous enough to be fascinated. What can we learn to make this world a better place for everyone's outlook on life? But uh, but we need to learn how to take care of that planet. We need to learn to discover the water that will save lives on our planet Earth. If you stand away from the planet, as we've had Dwayne Cecil on, who originally was with NASA, now U.S. Geological Survey, we've had the heads of the United Nations. You stand away from Earth and you pretend like you're looking at Earth from the outside. It has the water. There's something about this planet, Earth. We have a responsibility for the whole universe, so let's take it serious. Today we have an exciting guest I could hardly wait to tell you about, Dr. Mark Plotkin. He's a Ph.D. 
president of the Amazon Conversation, Conversation, Conservation Team, formerly served as research associate of an ethnobotanical conservation, tell it's my Monday morning, the ethnobotanical conservation as the, at the Botanical Museum at Harvard University, and you know we've been talking to scientists from Harvard, director of plant conservation at the World Wildlife Fund, and vice president of the Conservation International in Washington, D.C. He's the author of the Shaman Apprentice featured in Time Magazine, Hero for the Planet, and named the Scroll Foundation's 2008 Social Entrepreneur of the Year. I think we're going to learn a lot, and he has some exciting things happening in his life that he has worked so hard to provide, uh, pay it forward to this planet. You will learn from that. Our second guest is Michael Levinston, Executive Director, uh, City Farmer in Canada at the Canadian Office of Urban Agriculture. We're going to learn a lot today. So listen well, get your notepad out, and let's take notes of what we're going to learn in this laboratory we call Power of Water Radio Talk Show. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Biologic Aqua Research Center is the sponsor of Nature's Tears I Mist. We'll listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears I Mist, the only method of moisturizing the surface of the eyes with a supplement of just water, 100% tissue culture grade water with just a mist. We'll listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears I Mist, and we'll be right back with Dr. Mark Plotkin. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Dr. Plotkin, are you with us? Mm hmm. Dr. Plotkin, are yes, you with I'm us? Here. Yes, Sharon, I'm here. Oh, it's nice to have you with us today. It's great um, to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Well, you are um, known, and I was reading here, the hero for the planet, and you have a uh, Academy Award-nominated documentary, Amazon. Yep. But you've been at this a long time. Mm-hmm. Tell our listeners how long you have been doing what you're doing. Well, I've been working in the Amazon on and off for the past 30 years, and a typical year consists of time spent in the rainforest, time spent in the U.S. I go back and forth. I've got 
one house in Virginia and two grass huts in the northeast Amazon, so I kind of commute. Mm-hmm. And how long has that been? Uh, well, like I said, I started doing this 30 years ago, and now my trips range from a couple of days to a couple of months. Uh, I have an excellent staff at the Amazon Conservation Team, and I have many uh, indigenous peoples working with us on a regular basis, so I certainly don't have to do it all myself. And in, so in it's some all ways. been growing in the last 30 years. In the last decade, what has your focus been? Um, there's so much about you that is so fascinating. Mm-hmm. Tell our audience about what you've been focusing on and what the goals are that, uh, for yourself personally, because I, I like the fact that you personally are behind so many different directions that you're go, uh, uh, you're growing at, let's say. You're going towards to be a hero on the planet. I agree with that mm-hmm. from what I've read about you. Thank you. Um, tell us what your focus has been so the audience will understand what you're trying to accomplish. Well, the big focus is to protect the rainforest by working with the people that traditionally live there, that is, the Indians in the Amazon. But a more specific focus has been on what we call ethnographic mapping, which is to train Indians, some of whom were essentially born in the Stone Age, to use GPS as computers and other Western technology to map and protect their lands. And I might add that a major focus at is protecting headwaters and headwater forests, which is all about clean water first and foremost for the Indians, but for all the rest of us as well. And those wetlands. Absolutely. Oh, those wetlands, aren't they amazing when you look back at the countries uh, like Saudi Arabia and Iraq and the different countries that all had unbelievable water at one time, Doctor, and all of a sudden you, when you see pictures, it's all sand. Um, somebody, of course, didn't have the foresight that we have today, people like yourself, what you're doing. Um, tell us what some of the accomplishments have been, though, when you go into a different continent and you begin a plan, a program, what do you have to do first and what do you, what's the accomplishment so you at least get something done? Uh, do you bring community committees together? Um, are you using women and men? I know women in many of these uh, villages and, and tribes are very excited to join in with assistance to making a, a better place for the families to live. What have you been learning about the cultures and those different continents? Well, the work begins in, in, in the way we do things with what the people want and need. It's not a question of, of, of some white guy or some black guy from Washington, D.C. or San Francisco parachuting in and say, you need to protect your wetlands or you need to map your forest or you need to do this or that. It's hearing what their needs are and sharing our experiences of working with other tribal people and reaching a consensus. And the tribal cultures of the Amazon, for the most part, there are some exceptions, are really dominated by men. But like you point out, you really have to involve the women if you want to get stuff done. But it has to be done in a culturally sensitive way. You know, I've seen people go into tribal cultures and say, well, we want to empower the women. And the usual response is, well, get, get out of here, you know. Uh, If you're doing it in a culturally sensitive way, I think almost everything's on the table. But the idea that you just have to do work with men or the idea that you have to go in there and tell them that they have to engage women at the outset are equally flawed approaches. Exactly. Uh, Now, well, take my favorite subject, water. Have you been finding that you've been able to get quite a bit of work done on uh, discovering water and making sure each of these uh, locations have adequate water for the children to go to school and and possibly sanitation to accompany good water. 
Well, by choice, we work with some of the most remote people in the world, and that means that they're typically living in headwaters area, I mean, way in the interior, often where the, the river starts. So uh, the, the polluted water we think of when we think of, of places like the slums of Mexico or Rio de Janeiro or many of the other cities in the tropics are not as great a problem. Uh, that being said, as soon as you have population growth, which often happens when missionaries uh, encourage tribal peoples to live in greater concentrations, or with the advent of Western medicines against infectious diseases, population can climb. Water issues are, are certainly at the outset. But I've got to say that if you go into an area and you just focus on water, uh, it, it would be as short-sighted as just going in and focusing on women or just going in and focusing on TB or just going in and focusing on uh, conservation of endangered species. When you, when you do this type of work, you really have to be open-minded and willing to address a lot of different issues, uh, many if not all of which are interrelated. Right. You're right. It has to have a, a whole a package of lifestyle. Uh, yeah. Of course, I believe water brings everything together. Once you get the water, everything can then begin to have a different natural nature to your lifestyle choices. Uh, what are you finding for you personally? Uh, well, because I, I want to come into you personally on uh, why did you decide to do this personally? Well, I dropped out of college as a freshman, so at the age of 19, I got a job in a natural history museum, and there was a professor teaching a course in the botany and chemistry of hallucinogenic plants. Uh, this being the end of the 60s in a cultural sense that had a strong appeal. So I took the class, and I saw this man living this wonderful life with indigenous peoples, working with them, living with them almost as one of them, uh, looking for plants, looking for discoveries, looking for cures. And I thought, what a great life that man has lived. Mm -hmm. and, and I and many others like me decided to follow in his footsteps. So that's what spoke uh -huh. to me, the romance of it, the adventure of it, the quest. Well, that's, that is what happens to people. You know, Doctor, when I've had different individuals on here from United Nations and countries mm -hmm. that they're heading the United Nations or, or, let's say, a Nobel Prize winner, whoever I've had on people from walks of life all over the world, everybody has a personal reason why they're doing something. And that gets a lot done because people feel the passion. They feel the commitment uh, well, that the individual uh, 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 is... I also think accomplish. that you're dealing with a group of people, based on what you're saying, who have found their mentors and have found their path. And I do think there's a lot of people who never have and never do. And I feel sorry. Do you think it's possible, um, Doctor, that the individuals who don't find it maybe are trying to be, they think they're so bright, smart. I always say I'm not smart. But I mean what I mean by that. There's so much to learn. And we each can open to our own fascination of wanting to learn, but don't think we know enough it closes the door of all that is available that the earth offers us to want to be able to relate to and have be build relationships around the world and feel a part of the planet. Uh, do you agree with that? He was mentioning that around the world, each of us have a passion, and that's why we contribute what we do every day when we get out of bed and we begin our daily activities. Um, there's a, a focus we each have, and that in that focus that we each have is to get to give back to something. And there are some of us who don't have time or feel comfortable to be giving back, or we think we know enough that we don't adventure into wanting to learn more. And the one thing about our planet Earth, there's so much to learn. Can you possibly learn enough? You can go from America to 
different countries of where in Japan today we had the tsunami happen and that the earthquake and they're going through what they're having to go through and they're going through nature. Then you go over to countries like Dr. Mark Plotkin and find that there's problems with na- in nature that we all need to work with to help each other. You can even come into the United States of America. United States of America, you go into 50 states and you find that in those 50 states, there's always something to learn within the border of that state. Each state has a uniqueness. Have we ever noticed that 50 states have a uniqueness uh, that are offering something to the United States, but also offering something to the rest of the world? Mark, are you with us yet? We may have lost him. So we will try our best to uh, contribute on his behalf until he comes in. He, he's a native New Orleans. And Dr. Mark Plotkin leads and synthesizes the growing worldwide movement to protect our planet as a refuge for all life. And he believes with corresponding to, to drive, to discover, save, and utilize a planet life. And when you're doing that every day in all parts of the world, before the knowledge of your ancient, what you're wanting to learn, the purposes would be lost if you were not willing to probably give, try to learn as much as you can to help other people. The world, he's a world-renowned explorer, and spellbinding, it says here, storyteller, is a Time Magazine hero for the planet. Star, he is the star of the Academy Award-winning nominated IMAX documentary Amazon and the author of four fascinating books, including Tales of Shaman's Apprentice, Enthomontanist. I, I, it, it's in though, in, in no botanist searches for new medicines in the Amazon rainforest and the killer within, the deadly rise of drug-resistant bacteria. In other words, he is out learning how, what makes the planet live in those different pla- uh, places of the continent. He's respected and revered for his work in the Amazon rainforest. Plotkin's fascinating adventures inspire audiences to dream big, take risks, overcome adversity, and look beyond the obvious or expected. Pushing the limits, it says, he pushes the limits of commonly accepted concepts over the course of his 20-year journey deep with nature. Whether sleeping in a tiny thatched hut suffering from vampire bite, bat bites, eating delicacies like boiled rat, or nearly being electrocuted by a giant eel, Plotkin continues to race against time in saving the rainforest and ancient knowledge of the shamans and its enchanted endangered existence. I don't, I have a feeling we've lost him for whatever reason, and uh, I think what we'll do is we're going to probably uh, go to a our sponsor, Nature's Tears I Missed, and uh, we'll be right back uh, with more of the subject, and maybe we'll have Dr. Plotkin come back. Uh, technology like this can happen, and because he's probably in a spot. I'm in Manhattan today, and he could be in a spot that he is having difficulty with his technology. We'll listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears I Missed, and we'll be right back.
the World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to talk. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Kleina Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Dr. Plotkin, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Yes, I'm so sorry about that. We had a complete blackout. Oh, that's okay. Are you uh, where are you located today? I'm in Arlington, Virginia, just across the river from Washington, D.C. All right. Uh, real, uh, well, we don't have a lot of time, but I was reading about you while you were gone. <laughs> well, thank you. So our audience was able to hear more. Let's go into something as a favorite of mine. Uh, tell me about some of the uh, – what have you been learning about the future of healthcare uh, and the shemic uh, – and how do you pronounce it? Shamanic medicine – the mind, body, and connection and future of healthcare. What have you been learning well, I, I, for the audience? Yeah, there's there's two things, Sharon, that I think are, are relevant for all of us. One is the importance of preventative medicine. When I used to work in Madagascar, I found everybody drinking teas called Tavis, and uh, they said you drink it so you don't get sick. <clears throat> well, that's now what we call preventative medicine. I'm guessing there's probably some immunostimulants in there. So mm-hmm. I think it's better to prevent diabetes by not weighing 400 pounds and getting diabetes and waiting for an ethnobotanist to find a cure in the rainforest. The second thing that that, that we're learning from these people is the importance of uh, the invisible. Now, the invisible could be called by somebody else the power of prayer, the power of the placebo effect, reducing stress, uh, uh, things that really Western medicine isn't very good at understanding, documenting, or harnessing. But this is why sometimes these shamans, these medicine men and women, can cure ailments which have a strong psychological or spiritual component, which Western medicine really isn't very good at. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, I, I think Western medicine will tell you that the challenges that they've had since the invention, doctor, of the medicine cabinet, and I hope you follow me, but I've been in the medical field for many, many years in research and did something with nature that nobody else has ever done right in front of prescriptions with nature. And they're all willing to learn, too, but it wasn't when they went to medical school they had, that they were not taught the word alternative integrative. And what you're right. saying is we as life on this earth will need to learn from those that are living with nature how to think about the alternative and integrative. What is the symptom of nature before you go to the medicine cabinet? Um, I totally agree. Now, what have you been learning are some of that? You mentioned tea, and I brought on somebody who goes all over the world studying teas for many years, for over 30 years, and I'm fascinated with it too. But what are some of the other things 
that you found that are integrative, uh, alternative in different parts of the world that we need to think about? Well, you know, uh, some of the tribes I work with, and not all of them, think that massage is very much a part of treatment. Uh, some of them think that massage is part of, of preventative medicine. And the idea that we only get a massage when our back hurts, they would disagree with because they would say, well, if you got a massage on a regular basis, maybe your, your, your back would never hurt. Uh, you know, I've seen people say that, uh, well, you've got something bad in your body and, and, and by this type of manipulation, uh, I can stimulate your immune system and get the good stuff moving around and get your body to pass on the bad stuff, which is just stored in you. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of massage therapists who will tell you that, but uh, in my experience, not a lot of MDs. And so, on well, the one hand, I do you... have MDs that believe in that, and uh, physicians and surgeons and scientists. Um, but we, as a, a society, need to be responsible to be proactive. They're not going to tell yes. you, you what all the things you have to do. Uh, there's so much education today, and I agree with you about massage and audience reflexology, massage, different kinds of massage. Mm-hmm. to uh, so, push out those toxins and get that body stimulated and get rid of some of those knots that are in that body uh, that we could never get rid of any other way. Um, exactly. What are some of the other things? I do believe in that. And um, what else do you, uh, are there, is out there that you're learning? Well, there's, another, there's one tribe in particular that I've been working with for a long time that's a great believer in uh, vapor. Uh, they, they, they spend a, a lot of their uh, time preparing medicines which are thrown on the fire and you inhale the smoke. Now, according to some chemists, a lot of the stuff will disappear in the fire, but uh, they say this is how they heal. And I don't uh, know enough. I haven't been able to test this to the point where I can say, well, by throwing it on this fire, you're destroying all the alkaloids or you're releasing some essential oils that you can take in uh, as smoke. I mean, I've, I've certainly never been to a doctor who told me I needed more smoke in my life. But uh, this is the, the balance between being open-minded to something new and different, and, but at the same time not believing everything a medicine man, a medicine woman, or a physician tells you. I think we all need to be in charge of our own health care uh, and, and, and have a certain amount of skepticism and a certain amount of belief. And the sweet spot is, is figuring out how to get that right. Now tell me about, because uh, I've been having, I've had the head of Harvard, uh, or now, actually it was uh, an, another one uh, from Harvard too, but uh, about nutrition and diet, and did you find that different cultures in those countries uh, were living on, on on a particular diet that you were impressed with? It was very off, obviously coming from the nature of keeping them healthy. Um, well, is there anything I, we can I, learn I, there? When you live in a place which doesn't have the fantastic assortment and seduction of, of, of spices from every corner of the world and meat, fish, uh, bird, uh, whatever you want, and you're just eating the same thing over and over again, you don't spend as much time thinking about food because it becomes much more fuel than a sensuous experience. No, I love a great meal at a great restaurant. Uh, but there's something to be said for not uh, spending so much time and money on exotic foods. And uh, these people are getting a lot of exercise. They're sweating a lot, which we really typically do not do. And uh, uh, they seem to be living good, healthy lives on uh, what, what I would consider a very restricted and not very uh, appetizing diet. So there's more work to be done to figure out the secrets of why this seems to work so well. And what if something else, I've been in Kenya, this show has gone into Kenya, um, and, and um, at the conservatory there on the Mara River. Um, what are you learning about their plant life? Are they able to protect their plant life? Well, I'm not, uh, 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 Kenya is really outside my expertise 
area of expertise, but there's a fellow ethnobotanist named Tim Johns, J-O-H-N-S, who you can look up on the internet, who's one of the authorities on the healing practices and the nutrition of the Maasai. And he always points out these people live on a lot of milk and some cow blood, and to us that smells like a high cholesterol diet, which would result in lots of heart disease, which these people typically don't get. So is it about their attitude? Is it their exercise? Is it the fact they don't have pesticides or toxins in their food that, that makes them live on something, which I don't know any uh, anybody in my immediate circle who would want to live on this or who would think this is a healthy diet. So this is why working with indigenous people, so-called primitive peoples, is such an endlessly fascinating uh, topic. Mm-hmm. Now you have on here something that we don't have too much time left um, on the, the deadly rise of drug-resistant bacteria. What have you been learning about that? Well, uh, we all know people who've gone into hospitals and got a drug-resistant bacterial infection. A lot of us know people yes. who uh, went into hospitals and came out dead because of drug-resistant bacterial infections, and this mm-hmm. is bad and getting worse. And the current estimates that I'm looking at are between 100,000 and 300,000 Americans are dying from this every year. Now, when you think of the terrible tragedy of 9-11, that's 3,000 people that died once. So the idea that 100,000 or 300,000 Americans are dying from diseases which were once curable or preventable, I find preventable uh, shocking and frightening. So we can't just worry about uh, AIDS. Uh, We can't just worry about bird flu. We need to worry about stuff like Staph aureus which is killing a lot of people and threatens to kill a lot more. In fact, that it, it has become way too common. Um, way and too people common. going into the hospital with one disease and dying because of something else. Uh, and you know something I've learned, uh, Dr. Plotkin, is, is if the listeners could hear this one, and you'll, I think you'll agree with me, if there's somebody you know in the hospital that's a family member or, or somebody close to you, they need to assign a, a manager to help them. While they're sick in bed, there needs to be somebody keeping track of what's going on, mm-hmm. um, a, a member of the family or whatever, because we forget the doctor and the nurses have so many more patients that are they're uh, giving attention to that each member of the family need, needs to be attentive to the patient in the bed as much as the doctor. And I a lot of people forget anybody... that. They want the doctor to be fully responsible and the nurses and... I don't go along with that. I think if there's somebody, now there are people, you'll say, that don't have somebody, but if there's somebody to do this, that could save a life right there. Well, one of the most frightening things we found in writing this book, I did this with Michael Schneerson, a writer for Vanity Fair, was that uh, antibiotics turning up in the water supply, uh, in our rivers and even in our tap water. You know, I I have been studying water for 30-odd, 40 years, and I, have, I don't know where I was, and then all of a sudden I thought, oh, my gosh, these last results in the last few years, they're finding, isn't it's unbelievable uh, what's mm-hmm. happening there. And, and it just shocks you of what, what's happening. Uh, what are we going to do? What do you think we can do about that? Well, I think we need to be able to test to see if there's antibiotics in our water supply, uh, what's in our faucet, what's in our rivers. And I think we need filters to make sure we're not taking in antibiotics because taking in small antibiotics is a recipe for creating more uh, drug-resistant bacteria. And once again, we all need to be in charge of our own health care and our, des- our health care destiny. Oh, you're being more proactive, right? Use the, uh, God, uh, the given God, I call it uh, the brain that's called the freedom of learning. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, there's something else that we could say here, too. 
can we learn to eat better, drink enough water, eat better, and take better care of our health, learn how to sleep, and, and learn how to meditate, have the massage, and stay away from the medicine cabinet as much as we humanly can, and maybe wouldn't have so much medication going down the toilet um, throughout this country and the world. Um, that is something that get people more proactive about how to take better care of their own lifestyle and think well, about taking responsibility. This is something we insist on at the Amazon Conservation Team. The rainforest, the river, clean water, medicines, it's all about your health. It's all interconnected. Well, we only have a half a second, le- minute left here. Um, what would you like to close with today? And I'm sorry this happened, but I'm hoping we can get you back on one other day when we've got when the power doesn't go. But give us a last like that. bullet here. Our, our website is www.amazonteam.org. There's more information there. I look forward to connecting with people on the web or in our next interview. Thank you for your time. It was very nice Thank to talk so with you today. You have a nice My day and pleasure. be well. Thank, Thank you. you. You too. Well, I'm sorry that we didn't get the full show with Dr. Plotkin because he is full of information, but with experience information, uh, that it makes it exciting to learn from him. But you did hear something today about being proactive about your lifestyle and learn as much as you can for yourself to be healthier. And then when you're being healthier, uh, think about the rest of the world that has challenges and he's giving his time to helping others to learn to be more proactive. We're going to listen to our sponsor, Nature Sears I Mist, for a moment here, for a second, and then we're going to come into uh, talking with um, um, Michael Levinson. Michael Levinson is so exciting for me today because we've been learning a lot about farming and uh, organic farming, and he's up in Canada. And we're going to learn more from him here in a moment. We'll listen to our sponsor, Nature Cheers I Miss, and we'll be right back. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You're listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Michael, are you with us? I'm with you. Well, I thank you, and I hope I can have you on another time. We had some technical difficulty with power outage with our earlier guest, and 
had to come on later than I planned with you, but I am excited, Michael, about what you're doing about uh, the gardening and the agriculture that people can learn. Tell us about what you are doing and why did you get involved in city, uh, it's called City Farmer Gardening. Well, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, I'm in Vancouver, B.C., Canada, and uh, I'm the executive director of a small nonprofit called City Farmer. We've been doing the work we do since 1978, so we're about 34, 33 years in. And our message is simple. Uh, You can grow and produce some food in the city where you live. So we generally see agriculture as something that uh, traditional farmers do in rural areas. And we say if you have a garden and you have a pack of seeds, you are a producer too. And we named uh, these people in cities who grow food city farmers. And um, this subject uh, is more formally called urban agriculture, and it's taking off now. Yes, in fact, uh, when you said 1978, all of a sudden I'm thinking, wow, it's, it's happening now. Uh, we have had on the show the organic farmers that had, I mean, two, 3,000 acres with only four inches of rain. And then we've gone to Connecticut with greenhouses by thousands of feet of greenhouses, but also learning how to have a uh, garden in your kitchen called the suitcase gardener. Right. What type of, you know, people have got to learn, Michael, uh, how to be proactive. Be adventurous about your health and don't be vain. You know, L'Oreal, many years ago I had a friend of mine, Arnie Zimmerman, who headed L'Oreal, and one time he said he had all these people together from all over the world to try to come up with a motto for L'Oreal. And one evening, every night, they couldn't do it. And then all of a sudden, this one gal who was taking the notes says, she was going to go back down at 12 midnight here in Manhattan. I'm in Manhattan, by the way, today, in Manhattan. And she said, but it's expensive. I'm worth it. Now, huh. he said, that's it. That's it. Mm-hmm. You're worth it. And, you know, Michael, is it time that we all decided on this planet, don't be worried about being vain. You are worth <laughs> being concerning and proactive and adventurous and find a hobby, have a journal, write your own book about taking care of yourself and eating right, sleeping right, drinking adequate enough water, and growing your own choice of your produce. um, Have you ever been in America and gone to the Whole Foods stores? Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, we do have Whole Foods stores in Canada now, and uh, I've been in Whole Foods, enjoy the food there. Um, when you say, uh, can individuals take part in this, of course, that's our goal, uh, saying you too, if you even have a balcony and a container, you can grow some tomatoes, you can grow some lettuce, uh, you are part of the arugula. solution. Yeah. <laughs> yes, arugula, yes. Now, Anything I mean, the you like. The reason I brought up to you Whole Food and we'll get into your gardening in Manhattan. They have, a, of course, they have balconies and rooftops, and we'll get into rooftop gardening. But uh, they have five Whole Foods, I believe it is. And yesterday I went over to the Time Warner Building downstairs below, uh, and I wonder how they get everything down there because I know it's all not by escalator. Right. But they have the most abundant, proactive thinking ability to buy and shop for your health, and it's vulnerable. You know, you walk in and you're vulnerable. Now, tell us 
about what you've been learning, what people can learn about rooftop gardening and and maybe gardening in the kitchen. Well, you know, our our work started in the backyard. We have uh, it's not as densely populated as Manhattan, so people have homes with gardens, and people have been growing a lot of food in the garden. But that's just one part of urban agriculture, as you say. Uh, there's phenomenal uh, examples of rooftop gardens in uh, New York. We've been covering them on our website, our web blog. Uh, people are trying to grow and have been growing in the kitchen on windowsills for years. There's, uh, there's commercial products, uh, aeroponic, hydroponic, that you can grow indoors. These are more difficult, but if the individual wants to take control of their food supply in a small way, uh, they can grow some food just like the way they can grow some flowers and other plants. So our work, and through our website, cityfarmer.info, has been to show what people are doing around the world. Every country, people are growing food, and we want to show what they're doing in cities. And, of course, uh, Manhattan in New York is, is, a, is an example of where there's a lot of interest in food growing. Well, I'm, I'm really from Oregon. I just happened to be here today. Oh, okay. I'm in and out of Manhattan forever. But yep. I'm from Oregon, and uh, you know Oregon. We've got the I mountains, do. and we have the agriculture. And something that is so exciting about what Walmart has mentioned, they want to get into business of getting buying their produce and their foods closer to their stores. And to me, that is the magic of people becoming more vulnerable to understanding how important it is to get into their gardening. And I, no, there's not going to be one grocery store or, or a, a food co-op or Whole Foods that's going to be concerned about people wanting to grow uh, their own also because you couldn't grow enough. But um, tell us some of the things that you've learned. How do people grow it? Where, how do they do this? Uh, well, you know, as uh, coming from Oregon, you've uh, seen many examples of homegrown food in your neighborhood, yes. I'm sure. And uh, th this is an old topic that goes back long before I started into every town where people got their seeds, uh, dug up a garden, and, and, and grew some of their own food. It's, it's, it's as basic as can be, but we lose sight of that the more urbanized we come. We, we think that you know, all we'd have to do is have a job, get the money, go to the store, and then come home and cook it. Well, a lot of people are finding out this is brand new to them. They, they didn't learn from their parents or their grandparents how to do it. And suddenly they're realizing, boy, that lawn out front, underneath it is the same soil that farmers use to grow their uh, food for us. So these people are taking it on as, as, as a new hobby, as an exciting lifestyle. And um, it's just interesting right now I in the years that we're in, you know, Michelle Obama planting a garden on the White House lawn. This is, this is typical of uh, senior politicians finding that this is something that can help uh, uh, the people uh, in the societies. Our mayor in Vancouver has taken up some of the lawn in front of the city hall and put in a veggie garden. Uh, the Queen of England has, has uh, ordered that... Uh, uh, it, it, that uh, food garden, a demonstration food garden is being put near the palace. This is becoming quite uh, common now uh, after the first decade, you know, 2010, 2011. A lot of excitement. Uh, Prince Charles was in the news last week. He visited Washington, uh, the capital, just after his uh, 
son's wedding, and everybody watched that. Well, he was in Washington, two places he visited. He visited a city farm, and he visited the Supreme Court. So this subject has now risen from the back pages, the gardening column, to the front page of news. Yes, and, and you know, I'm, uh, by the way, I need to tell you, I'm 69 years old. So I came from a generation of gardens, pantries, canning, and way before freezers were invented somewhat, and, and uh, cold storage rooms, and, and literally thinking that way. That's why. It's nothing uh, new I'm to you. So, it's, it's not pardon, new to pardon. you. It is not a no, new subject no. for you. And I just have to say, when you mention your age, our head gardener, Sharon Slack, another Sharon who works in our garden and teaches the public, she's 68, almost 69. So she's bringing the knowledge of your generation to a new, yeah. younger generation. Yes, and be proactive about the nature of who you are, and you, you, it's not expensive, and you're worth it. <laughs> Absolutely right. correct. I need to tell you about a, a fellow I had in Connecticut, and he is known to be the suitcase gardener. Besides, he has thousands and thousands of square feet of greenhouses that he produces uh, vegetables and produce, but he invented a, uh, a hydropon- uh, 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 garden and a tub, and uh, he was describing how you can put it in your kitchen with a hydroponic, and uh, you can do it has these little places where you put your uh, uh, plants down into, and they grow into the water, and and you can take your scissors and cut it off and let them grow up again, and and it was sounding so fabulous, and and then all of a sudden here came these arches. He said you put these arches above and a little light, and I said oh my gosh it sounds so, and he said you can put a netting over it, and I said oh my gosh it sounds like butterflies could be. He said you can put your butterflies in the netting. Wow. <laughs> I know. I I said I I thought I died and went to heaven with right. the description, but what you're doing is fabulous, and we'll have you on again because. I want the listeners around the world to hear, you can have this on top of your roof, you can have it in your, on your patio, you can have it in your kitchen, and you can have different places where you, and then you go out and pick what you want, and then all of a sudden you're producing your own, uh, you're worth it. And you know, isn't it time, you and I are talking with a passion of life's choices and proactive, it's time that people started looking at themselves who they are. They're a magic, but they each have a craving for the fresh vegetables, fresh produce, freshness, dark green vegetables like spinach and kale and and arugula and chard and the goodies that go into your body and make you grow and be healthy, flush you, detoxify you. And that's what we're talking about today. The simplicity of drinking water, of course, lots of water, plain water, and then you go over and you grow what makes you feel good about yourself, and you're worth it. I think you're right, and this is the subject that people are interested in for their health. They realize as soon as they pick that uh, delicious strawberry or raspberry or whatever they're growing that uh, they're hooked on it. It's, it's, it's a fun hobby, and it's going to make them healthy. The kids love following their parents when they do it, so I'm in agreement with you. You know, I was doing a, a, a thing at the YMCA, Michael, and the children were coming through, and, and I'd take their little hand, and I'd touch their skin, and I said, did you know what, do you know what water is? And Yes. And I said, well, did you know your water? And before we're done, I'm telling them about drinking water, but I also got them into what, why they had to eat fresh arugula, spinach, 
and all this fresh produce, these salads and carrots. And the mother was saying, I told you so, I told you so. So mm-hmm. those of us like you and I, and going into the school systems, getting down to these little kids, getting their taste buds changed. Get, oh, and I've had doctors from Tufts University here on from America. Uh, they're leading scientists in nutrition and eyes. And, Michael, they're finding out that the deficit and problems of the eyes are depletion of water level uh, at the surface of the eye, which is the nature of your depletion of eyesight. But your, your dehydration problems are because of what could, you could be eating. Yep. And you need to learn to eat fresher foods and learn to take better care of yourself with the freshness of your daily eating. Good sleep, good water, and what you're eating. So this is not this can save lives. All of these. I'm in agreement uh, with you 100. percent You're 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 speaking to the converted with me. <laughs> okay. But, well, um, before we go, how did you get started in this? Uh, well, I went to university in the early 70s and. Uh, environmentalism was uh, what we were all interested in. It seemed to be in our blood. And um, a number of us uh, actually were looking at the energy issue, saving energy in the food system. And uh, it was pretty obvious, but not to us. But then we discovered if you grow some food out your back door, you're saving the energy of transport, you're saving the energy of packaging. So it was um, another time when energy conservation was an issue. And um, as I say, this, this came up as something of interest. And then we found out through the garden there were so many envir- environmental topics that we could talk to people, air pollution, uh, soil pollution. We could talk about people's health. We could talk about community through community gardens. We could talk about saving money, economics. So it has become a platform from which we can talk about many subjects of importance to urban dwellers. So we are we have a demonstration garden in the city. It's 30 years old. It's all organic gardening. People come visit us and they learn about green technologies, things they can do around the home in the garden to make their lives better. Mm-hmm. You mentioned something that sure would make a good topic on a show sometime is if you're really serious about saving energy and the planet to last forever, is don't operate your vehicle or turn on your power as much as you would have. Go out and work in your garden and and make it. We are we're eating what we're eating is so important to us. But to save energy and save money and be a healthier person, learn how to get back to the soil of the earth, the planet of the earth, and get outside um, more. Well, you're My right. We. Our, our goal has been, in so many ways, to make an urban environment, city, a greener place. You know, right. there are so many things that people can do to try and make it more livable. And, of course, the most obvious one is to plant plants, trees, flowers, veggies, mm-hmm. make the soil healthier by composting, conserve water, use rainwater within the city. All these technologies, we, very simple ones, we show people how they can get involved uh, to make the city a healthier place. Make them a healthier person. They are Exactly. Worth it. Exactly. Well, well, let's we'll do this again because there's some different subject matters today I had written down and I'm going to pick your brains. Would you do this again with me sometime? Of course you I will. Time eventually? Okay, yep. because there's so much to learn and it sounds like you're really dedicated and I like the uh, I like the passion tone. 
Well, you have well, a nice day. Tell everyone hello. I okay. think I'm going to be up there in the next couple of months. So if I come, I'll call you way ahead of time. We're going to be over in uh, Bentonville. And uh, we're, uh, we thought about getting over toward Vancouver. Now, you're in the Vancouver area. In Vancouver, down, yes, center, yes. Okay. Well, I will give you a call, but I'd like to have you on again, if you would. And I want to thank you, and you be well, and tell everyone I said hello. Thank you so much. Thank you. You be well. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, I'm sorry today that Dr. Mark Plotkin could not be on with us long enough, but he is dedicated to the Amazon and learning more about the nature of the earth and that particular continent, the healthiness of the culture, the people, and concerns of ourselves learning to be more proactive about taking better care of ourselves and get to the alternatives and and the proactiveness of integrating uh, before you get to the medicine cabinet. What can you learn about yourself? And then today, Michael was teaching us, uh, who was out of Canada. Michael Levinson was teaching us that, that when you learn to grow your own, take care of your own nurture, of your produce, and, and different uh, uh, foods that you want to eat, and your berries, and get into your own habits of taking care of yourself, your worth it type of thinking to me, that you'll be healthier. You'll feel closer to the planet Earth. And you know, he mentioned something and saved money and energy going to the grocery store all the time and driving your car. You'll stay home more calmly and you won't be so bored. You'll take better care of yourself because you're nurturing what your taste buds are, what you're needing to have for your food. And food is very important to us. We need to drink a lot of water. We need to be sure that we're getting proper sleep. Learn how to sleep. Don't think it's going to come naturally. And then how you eat. I want to thank you for listening today. Earth has a secret. Embrace your life. You're worth it. But Earth is whispering. Never say goodbye because you can participate by listening to this show and all the people that are never going to say goodbye. They're going to leave something behind. I want to thank you for listening. You be well. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com.